Let's go ahead and get started with a word of prayer, if we could, please. Our Father, we do come before you now with great thanksgiving in our heart, with praise for your name, with gratitude for all that you have done and provided for us. Lord, the most grateful thing being the Lord Jesus Christ and our salvation in him. Lord, we acknowledge that apart from you working in our lives, we would not be here this morning. We would not have any ability to gain understanding from the scriptures, for it's your spirit within us who illumines our minds and shows us the truth. So we would ask that you would do that this morning. Lord, as we look at uh, things in history, help us to make the connections to what we find written in the scriptures and may it edify and strengthen us in our beliefs. Ultimately, Lord, may everything we do in this place this morning be pleasing to you and give glory to your name. For it's in the name of our Savior Jesus we pray. Amen. This is week number 51 in our study of the book of Daniel. And just to kind of gain perspective, we've been looking at some extra-biblical resources um, in the last couple of weeks and we're going to do that again today but I want to just read the passage that we're talking about over in Daniel 9 verse 26 and the beginning of 27 is why we're looking at all this history the scripture reads in Daniel 9 26 then after 62 weeks the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood, even to the end there will be war, desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offerings. So in order to understand this passage, we have to understand who the prince is and who the well, the prince to come, and who the people are that he's associated with. Without an understanding of that, then we lose the ability, don't have the ability, to understand what Gabriel is speaking to Daniel. Because it's these people who destroy the city and the sanctuary, and it's from these people that the prince to come arises from. So the prince that we're talking about here is the one who will control the 70th week of Daniel. We've got 69 of them here detailed. And then in verse 27 is the 70th week of Daniel. So who this prince is and from whom does he come is paramount in our understanding of what is being given here. So for the last couple of weeks, We've been looking at the makeup of the Roman army, who they were. There's no doubt that it was Rome who led the charge against the Jews to put down an uprising that started in around 67 AD because of high taxation and impoverishment of the Jewish people. There's no doubt that this was ordered by Emperor Nero and that he sent one of his most trusted soldiers to go and lead the charge, that being Vespasian. 
And so that's well documented in history. And so you can't argue with that. But the angle that we're looking at is who made up that army that went against Jerusalem. And so we've been looking at what the history says. We, we looked at some fairly recent articles within the last 50 years that people have written about the makeup of the Roman army. We looked at what um, ancient historians, Josephus and Tacitus, so the Jewish and the Roman perspective of what they said about who made up this army. And you come out in conclusion of all that, that somewhere between 20 and 50% of the Roman army was made up of provincials, people that had been from the provinces that Rome had conquered. And so we then looked at, and we, we have pretty good detail about this, both from Josephus and Tacitus, that the army that was gathered to go against Jerusalem were three um, of the Roman, I lost the word, um, what are they called? It's not brigade, it's not, <laughs> what are they called? Um, nope. They're bigger than cohorts. <laughs> They're not battalion. What is the word? N legions is the right word. All right, a legion was somewhat, we know that there were three full legions that were brought by both um, Vespasian and by his son Titus. They went out, got those three legions, brought them back together, and then parts, small parts, of three other legions, just a few men from each of those. So a legion was around 5,000 Roman so soldiers. And so if you have three legions plus a few, let's say you have maybe 20,000 Roman soldiers. A lot of soldiers, but by our counting, 10,000 to 16,000 of those were not Italian. So you've got somewhere between four and 10,000 who are Italian. And then added to that, when Vespasian went to Syria to bring back the Syrian um, legion, with him, he also brought a lot of auxiliary soldiers from the kings of Syria and Arabia. And he brought back at least 60,000 of those, plus their servants, which are not numbered, but by the time you add that to 20,000 Roman soldiers, you're probably somewhere north of 100,000 soldiers, of which four to 10,000 are Italian. So at best, one in every 10 of the people who invaded Rome, uh, Jerusalem were Italian. So the prince who is to come from the people who destroy Jerusalem and the sanctuary. 
So the people who destroy Jerusalem and the sanctuary are not much Italian. They're mainly people from Arabia and Syria, hated enemies of the Jews. And we'll see that today, that part of the reason they joined these forces and went is because they hated the Jews. And they knew that the Romans were going to destroy the Jews, which they did. And so they joined these forces. Now, the Roman soldiers that were there, the 20,000 um, that were truly in the Roman army, these were soldiers of Rome. They were committed to Rome because either they were Italians or because they'd been paid a lot of money and they may even have been given citizenship in Rome, which is a great privilege and brings a lot of things in your life. And so they were, they were committed to the emperor of the Roman Empire. All these other people, 80,000 or so, not so much. And we'll see that as we go through this today. They're basically fighting because they hate the Jews. And these would have been not only from Arabia and um, Syria, but you would have had some people from Egypt, you would have had some from North Africa, some from other provinces that Rome had conquered by the time you get to 70 AD. So what I want to continue to do today is look mainly at what Josephus wrote about this time. You have to remember, Josephus was there. He had been captured by the Romans, and they kept him to be a go-between between them and, Rome, and uh, the Jews trying to persuade the Jews to give up. And you'll see today the extremes that the Roman army went to to try and get the Jews to give up. But they, of course, did not. Um, so I've told you that Josephus wrote a series of books about the wars of the Jews. And he goes way back in history. He goes all the way back to Antiochus of the Grecian Empire and begins his books. But by the time you come um, to book three, you, um, in chapter six, he titles this chapter From Vespasian's Coming to Subdue the Jews to the Taking of Gamala which is not Jewish, but nevertheless. So he begins to detail when Vespasian was sent by Nero to gather the army together. And he, he wrote a lot about this in a lot of detail. And, and I'm just giving you an outline. It's worth your while to get the history written by Josephus. It's a book about Yathic, but um, it is, it's intriguing how much detail he wrote and how you can understand exactly the thought of what was going on in the Roman leader's mind. Go ahead, Andy. Yeah.
No, the, the Romans, if you think about the Roman Empire and all the lands they conquered, they typically did not destroy them. They would show the people their army, and then the people would give up out of fright and realizing we can't take those guys. So we'll pay our homage, we'll pay our tributes, we'll give the taxes, we'll, but we'll be able to keep our lives and be able to keep our lands. Right, and the influence of the Roman Empire, which was both good and bad. I mean, the, you know, the Romans would pave roads into these cities, and um, built, like in, in Jerusalem, they rebuilt the temple to be twice as big as it was. I mean, they did some things that were beneficial. And if you would always obey, then you would never get squashed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, and that's the way the Romans always work. Even when they get into Jerusalem, you'll see the restraint of the Roman guard to not destroy everything that's there. Maybe kill the people. That's, a, that's up for game, right? If they keep fighting you, then kill them. But if they give up, then don't wipe them out. And you will see that today, that there were people who escaped from Jerusalem that Titus let go. Just said, go wherever you want to go. Just get out of here. So we'll see that today as we go through this. Now, I want to read this, several excerpts from what Josephus wrote. And again, this is just an outline. I'm just skipping through the chapters so you can get a flavor of what's there, but it's worth your time to go and read book three of the, um, of the history that Josephus wrote. Uh, and you can buy, like I said, you can buy the complete works of Josephus, which are, I don't know, 800 pages or something like that, for very inexpensive. I, I was, I, you know, I bought them a long time ago, so maybe they're more now, but uh, still very inexpensive to get the complete works. And you can get the complete works of Tacitus in one volume also, again, very inexpensively. Um, so you ought to maybe consider that. Okay, so from book three, chapter six, paragraph three of um, this history of Vespasian coming to subdue the Jews, Josephus wrote, and thus did Vespasian march with his army and camp to the bounds of Galilee where he pitched his camp and restrained his soldiers who were eager for war. He also showed his army to the enemy in order to affright them and to afford them a season of repentance to see whether they would change their minds before it came to a battle. And at the same time, he got things ready for besieging the strongholds. So here's my army camped out here. You can see us from Jerusalem, okay? And he stays there for a season so that they'll consider, can we go, can we defeat these 100,000 people or can we not? And realize Jerusalem, um, the siege took three years. And so Jerusalem during the siege runs out of food, they run out of war, uh, water, they run out of everything you need to live. Um, so 
and you know, so they could just lock the city off, which they did, and then what are you gonna do? So this would be typical Roman strategy. Show them the army, if they give up, then let them live, and don't destroy everything that's in your path. Leave it as it is, take it as a Roman province, which they had already done. You gotta remember, this is an uprising. So they're gonna squelch the uprising. So anybody who fights against them, they're gonna kill. But those who give up, they're not. Yeah, these, these are the ancestors of the same people who took the 10 northern tribes captive with fish hooks in their mouths, never to be heard of again. So these are the same um, ethnic groups that did that, that are now coming against the Jews. So they've hated the Jews forever. As a matter of fact, Assyria tried to conquer the southern tribes, they just were not able to. Southern tribes were able to fight them off. And so they've wanted to take Jerusalem for a very, very long time. So, um, you know, by the time you get here, you're talking about 700 years that they've been hating the Jews, at least that long. Okay, so Vespasian shows them his army. Now, while they're camped, word comes that Nero has died. So Vespasian goes back to Rome to be the emperor, to be seated as the emperor. There's some skirmishing, there's always is when an emperor is seated, but Vespasian goes back and is made emperor of the Roman Empire. He leaves his son, Titus, to lead the charge against Jerusalem. So you have a pretty young guy who's gonna lead the charge. He's not anywhere near as seasoned as his dad who had fought against Ger uh, Germania and defeated all those uprisings. Um, but now you've got this pretty young lieutenant who's in charge of this huge army of 100,000 people or, or more, 15 or 20,000 of which are true Roman soldiers. Always important to keep that in mind. Okay, so book five of um, Josephus is called From the Co Coming of Titus to Besiege Jerusalem to the Great Extremity to which the Jews were reduced. So this is the battle. This is the defeat of the Jews and the taking of Jerusalem is written in this book, book five. So again, I want to read something to you from um, chapter 10, in the first paragraph of that chapter, Josephus wrote, as Josephus was speaking with a loud voice. Now, what has happened is that the Romans have taken, there are three walls around Jerusalem. The Romans have taken the first and the second wall. So they're near to Jerusalem. So Titus sends Josephus to the gate to try and convince the Jews to give up. I mean, look, they've taken the first two walls, they're getting ready to take the third. This took about six months to get to this point. 
Josephus winds up, he says, and you've got to realize, okay, this is Josephus writing this, that he, he ends in uh, wailing and sobbing because they won't relent. So this is Josephus writing about himself. He says, as Josephus was speaking with a loud voice, the seditious would neither yield to what was said, nor did they deem it safe for them to alter their conduct. But as for the people, they had a great inclination to desert to the Romans. Accordingly, some of them sold what they had, and even the most precious things that had been laid up in the treasury by them for a very small matter and swallowed down pieces of gold that they might not be found out by the robbers. And when they had escaped to the Romans, went to stool and had wherewithal to provide plentifully for themselves. For Titus allowed a great number of them to go away into the country whither they pleased. Okay, so what's going on here? I mean, he writes it pretty literally, right? They swallowed down maybe small trinkets or whatever of their gold jewelry. And then ultimately that comes out and they have their gold that they can sell and um, you know, maybe make a living for themselves. So they're swallowing their gold so that the robbers can't take it from them. Now the robbers they're talking about, there are two men inside of Jerusalem one named John, one named Simon. They were robbers. They led bands of robbers. They uh, assaulted the people. They killed the people to get their jewelry, to get their gold, to get their whatever they had that was worth stealing. And so you've got not only the Roman army outside, if you're one of these Jews in there, but then you have these two bands of robbers inside of Jerusalem who are attacking you also. So here's Josephus pleading with them, just give up. And there are people who do and who make it out of the city. And if they did, then Titus let them go. They could go anywhere they wanted to, just don't stay here. And you know, they, you, you see it, they deserted to the Romans. So here's Rome encamped around the city, allowing people to leave if they want to, and not harming them in any way. Okay, but the Roman soldiers um, get wise to this, especially those who are not true Roman soldiers, but are of the auxiliary units. And so they began to realize these people are coming out with gold in their bellies that they're going to ultimately uh, come out of them and they will be able to use it and make a living. So, what did they do? Um, especially as they see these people leaving with their gold. So, in chapter 13 of book 5, in... Um, Josephus continues, this is paragraph four of that chapter. This is, this is pretty hard to listen to. Yet did another plague seize upon them that were thus preserved, talking about the people getting away. 
For there was found among the Syrian deserters a certain person who was caught gathering pieces of gold out of the excrements of the Jews' bellies. For the deserters used to swallow pieces of gold, as we told you before, when they came out. So the multitude of the Arabians with the Syrians cut up those who came, came as supplicants and searched their bellies. So what are they literally doing? They're cutting them open in their, in their bellies. So um, it goes on to say, and came out and searched their bellies, nor does it seem to me that any misery befell the Jews that was more terrible than this, since in one night's time about 2,000 of the deserters were thus dissected. So there's thousands of people coming out of the city having swallowed gold, and now the Syrians and the Arabians, who are the auxiliary units there with the Romans, capture these people and cut them open to see if they might have some gold in their bellies. And if they did, they took it. If they didn't, they just died. So be it. Pretty awesome. Pretty gruesome. Pretty, pretty difficult to, I mean, you get away from the robbers inside the city only to be caught by those who are going to kill you so they can see if they can get your gold by cutting you open. And there was, you know, no mercy, not kill you first and then cut you open, just cut you open. And then you die from those wounds. So gruesome, gruesome. And so Titus gains knowledge of this, and he's conflicted. Josephus goes on in paragraph 5 to write, this is the very next paragraph, when Titus came to the knowledge of this wicked practice, he had, to, he had like to have surrounded those who had been guilty of it with his horse and have shot them dead, and he had done it had not their number been so very great. There's too many of them to gather them all together to kill them. However, he called together the commanders of the auxiliary troops he had with him, as well as the commanders of the Roman legions, for some of his own soldiers had been guilty herein as he had been informed, Titus spoke as follows. Moreover, do the Arabians and the Syrians now, first of all, begin to govern themselves as they please and to indulge their appetites in a foreign war, and then out of their barbarity in murdering men and out of their hatred for the Jews, get it ascribed to the Romans? For thus this infamous practice was said to be spread among his own soldiers also. Then Titus threatened that he would put such men to death. So what does the Roman leader, who's going to take Jerusalem and destroy everything, what is his opinion of the people who coming, come out of the city? If you kill them, you're a murderer. Not exactly the way I think about the Roman army, right? But this is Titus. As he, these people come out and he will allow them to escape, they get caught by the Syrians and the Arabians and they're killed for the gold that maybe they've swallowed. But it makes sense when you think about where Rome is at. Right. Rome has been waiting now for decades and they're trying to figure out a way to rejuvenate 
Right. Yeah. Yeah, Rome and the city of Rome at this time had begun its decline. The Roman Empire was still the Roman Empire, but the city itself was suffering raids from the bandits in the surrounding area. And ultimately, um, you know, by 200 years after this, they abandon Rome and go to Constantinople for their capital because Rome is not doing well. That's not the way we think about the Roman Empire, but that's what actually happened. But at this time, they, they don't want to destroy the people because that's where they get their wealth and their money. Well, yeah, some of the Jews did. Some of the Jews just gave up. And that's these people trying to leave the city. The most common people, you know, not the people in the priesthood who had started the insurrection and the, and the soldiers who were with them inside the city, they didn't give up. And neither did John or Simon who were getting wealthy by staying in the city. They didn't give up. But the common people, they were trying to leave by droves. And, I mean, you, you read Josephus, and he says some of them had no choice but to jump from the walls and to their peril because they died in the fall. Yeah. What did Jesus say? No doubt. I mean this this insurrection that we talk about that started in sixty seven was started by the priests. Josephus was a priest and went into the army to be a leader of a band of of the army ultimately got captured and then they kept him alive thankfully for him so that he could be their go-between he's not successful but he tries and these people are trying to leave the city and Vespasian I mean Titus will let them go but these Arabians and Syrians who hate them won't let them go all right so this is the whole point of why I've been giving you all this history. And so we can see the makeup of the Roman army because it's not the Romans who are destroying the Jews, it's the Syrians and the Arabians. And you'll see that in spades next week. So I'm, I'm gonna finish this, but what I'll do next week is we'll look at the actual siege of Jerusalem and the sanctuary and who did what. And it will be, in stark colors of who did what. And, and there are the people who destroyed Jerusalem and the sanctuary. Right here, we're just seeing the horror that was wreaked on the Jewish people by not the Romans, but by the Syrians and the Arabians.
who are those 60,000 plus auxiliary units. Okay. Right. Right. Order of command. Oh, absolutely. Right, and you and true military people don't murder people. They might capture them, they might uh, occupy them, but they don't murder them. They only kill people who are fighting against them. I mean, you even see that all through World War II. While there was the Holocaust, all the other people, we didn't just indiscriminately kill people. You kill the soldiers. And so that's what Titus is trying to do. And there's an order of command. And you, don't, you can't just go do what you want to do. You have to be given orders to do them. But these guys were doing whatever they wanted to. <laughs> they're the ones that literally told these people blindly into these situations in direct rebellion against God. Well, you, you know, you saw it very, very clearly during the pandemic. And I don't know if you were listening to all the talking voices and the differing opinions, but it was, it was pretty outrageous. Some of the things that some of the religious leaders were saying about the government and about what we should do. So, I mean, we saw just a taste of it during the pandemic. We'll see more. It'll come more bold later. Uh, you see it somewhat in, uh, I'm not gonna take a political side here, but in the trial that went on Thursday night and that will go on for weeks, you, you see a flavor of it there not religiously drawn, but that's just the beginning. It ultimately will become religious. Right, well, and, yeah. And, you know, that doesn't mean that People who love God won't be killed. They will. And in a lot of cases, that's God's will for them um, because it shows their testimony. But um, that's a very real possibility. But this you must always do. If you go to your death on a religious base, make sure it's because God wants you to, not because you're rebelling against people you shouldn't rebel against. Anyway, that's just another story for another day. All right, so you got hatred and murder of the Jews by the auxiliary forces that Titus tries to stamp out. And like I said, Titus is somewhat um, torn because as the people in the city see these thousands of people murdered, it should motivate them to give up to him, not to these crazy people that are killing them, but to the Roman army. Should be a motivation for them as they see other people being killed. 
who are fighting against them. So um, there, one other passage I want to read here out of Book Five, Chapter Eleven, Paragraph One. There were, like I said, the city was running out of food and water; had long run out of what you needed. So people would go out of the city, try and get a little something to eat, and go back into the city. But they also had a a dichotomy because if you go out and you don't surrender, then you're considered fighting against them. If you go out waving a white flag, they'll welcome you and you'll be okay. But if you don't, then they consider you to be fighting against them. So the people who went out should have just gone out and stayed out. But even those who were fighting against them would go out and try and get something to eat and go back in. So Josephus writing about these people, he says, the severity of the famine made them bold in thus going out because they're starving to death. So nothing remained but that when they were concealed from the robbers, that's the people in the city, they should be taken by the enemy. That's the people outside of the city. And when they were going to be taken, they were forced to defend themselves. So they're fighting against them, which they should not have done, but they did. Forced to defend themselves for fear of being punished. As after they had fought, they thought it too late to make any supplications for mercy. So they were first whipped and then tormented with all sorts of tortures before they died and were then crucified before the wall of the city. So the message is don't fight against us, right? It's very clear. You fight us, we will kill you. The miserable procedure made Titus greatly to pity them. This is the Roman leader. While they caught every day 500 Jews, nay, some days they caught more, yet it did not appear to be safe for him to let those who were taken by force go their way and to set a guard over so many he saw would be such as guarded them useless to him. The main reason why he did not forbid the cruelty was this, that he hoped the Jews might perhaps yield at the sight out of fear unless they that might themselves afterwards be liable to the same cruel treatment. So the soldiers, out of the wrath and hatred they bore the Jews, nailed those they caught, after one, one after another, and another after another, to the crosses by the way of jest, when their multitude was so great that room was wanting for the crosses and crosses wanting for the bodies. So you have all these crosses with all these bodies on them standing before the wall of Jerusalem saying, doesn't it make sense to give up? And if you come out and you fight against us, you're going to wind up on one of these crosses. And, and Titus is standing there pitying all these people who died on the cross saying, give up because we don't want to have to destroy you. Now, this is not the way I think about a Roman conquest. 
or at least the way I used to think about a Roman conquest. It's not the way most people think about a Roman conquest, where they're trying, going to links in to get the enemy to give up instead of having to fight them. Ultimately, the Jews don't give up, and that's what we'll look at next week, is the actual taking of the city and the sanctuary. And then we'll be done. We'll go back to the scriptures. Okay? Thanks for your time.